Hey, what's up? Welcome to the AV Club. Finally, 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 it's here. I know, it's taken a long time. I hyped it up too much. I shouldn't have. Whatever. Now it's here. Anyways, my first guest, his name is Ben Shank. He's the founding pastor of Awaken Church here in Round Rock, Texas, and he's a former Army Ranger. Uh, pretty cool dude. He's a savage. His, his workouts are insane. Uh, we have a workout scheduled for next week, so um, a little nervous for that. But we had a great conversation about his past as a ranger and his present as a pastor and all the stuff in between. We even talked about Luca and the Mavs a little bit, man. Hey, shout out Mavs. But uh, yeah, man, you catch catch Ben on Instagram at Benjamin Shank, S-C-H-E-N-C-K. And then you can find Awaken Church if you're interested. They have their services online at awakenchurch.online. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the episode. We were talking about Luca. We were talking about LeBron. Oh, dude, Luca is like he plays. This is what I was telling. I was on FaceTime with my buddy Cade the other day, mm-hmm. and he Luca plays like he's playing an open gym. Every single game. Like, if you look at him, like, of course, he gets mad because he's, like, young. He's got a temper. But he plays like he's legitimately playing with his friends that he loves. And he's just having a good time. And he's, like, laughing. And you see him do these step-back threes from, like, four feet behind the three-point line. And, like, that's something I never mastered in high school because I was, like, I played really well in open gym. And in the games, I played okay. But not – there was definitely a difference. But don't you feel like, especially in in that sort of setting, like, there's so much restriction on you where I I feel like – especially as a coach, one of the things that's so difficult is like, how do you maximize, you know, we're talking about like the potential of players mm-hmm. and like some players it's like, man, you need that structure. You need, Hey, here's, you, you go from X to Y to Z. And then, you know, here's how, here's how we're going to score. But with some others, it's like, you just need a free flow. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about, you know, the maps and obviously Luca, it's like, okay, Hey, you be you, you know, you be yourself. And then when you see that come out, it's like, wow, you can, you can really see his talent on display. Yeah. It's it's crazy. That's like a that's something I wish I could have mastered with that man. Because I I've almost played college ball. I went to uh, I had a tryout. I got invited to a tryout, which is pretty mm. cool. But it was like a what's it called? Not JUCO. Um, like NAIA. NAIA. That's yeah. Exactly what it was. So yeah. I got an NAIA. Uh, they had invited me to go to a practice, and then I went, and it was really weird. I was training actually with Daniel and his dad mm. uh, right after my senior year. And because that whole family is basketball, basketball yeah, sports. Yeah. 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 Ba- basketball. And then I think Daniel played football his senior year, mm. something. Uh, but we play, I don't know if you know who Gia Perkins is, but she mm. is a WNBA player. Okay. Um, she graduated from the high school we went to and so did her dad. Her dad is Johnny Perkins. He was in the NFL. Oh, wow. And she went to the WNBA. And so she came back and somehow they got to know her or I guess, good enough friends where they're like, Hey, we have a gym access. You want to come hoop? And so she was like, yeah. So we trained with her for a little bit. And it was like the time between uh basketball season ending. And then like the summer. And then that practice was in the summer. Um, that tryout, I guess you could call it. And we were training with her. And then I remember we did, I, we were doing this one move. We were at the top of the key and I spun and I tried to get past her and I kind of did. But then whenever I pulled up to shoot at the, the free throw line, she like went to block, put her foot out. I landed on her foot, rolled my ankle. And so like that was like a week before 
this tryout. And so I went to a tryout with like a bum ankle. Uh. I like to use that as an excuse, but <laughs> man, I was so, I was so mad because I was like, mm. man, this was my chance. But yeah. I mean, I, it worked out way better that I didn't go to that school because it was, you know, small. It was like northern Oklahoma. It was like a six or eight hour drive from. from You're away from all your friends and family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, Daniel was in that tryout with me. I, dude, we're like always at the same place at the same yeah. time. But uh, we were we were at the tryout together. And he's a he's known for shooting. Hmm. That's what he was. The, he was the shooter. So I haven't played with you guys. We need to go out on the. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we got do. some courts out here. We need to go yeah. out there and just hoop up for a little bit. Dude, I think I saw you out there in the court too with Hero. Probably Coda. Coda was doing. Uh, he had his first season of basketball. Uh-huh. My uh, my oldest son, and so I don't know the first thing about basketball. All I played was you know just uh, just out on the courts, you know. Right. And so I never played um, in school or yeah. organized. And so I'm out there and I'm just looking up YouTube videos of like uh, Curry, like how to dribble and <laughs> doing the little drills. So I've got him out there like oh, doing his smart. thing. Um, but it was, dude, it was a blast like getting out there and like getting to learn um, just some of those skills because I was a baseball football guy. Baseball football, yeah. Yeah. And so basketball was like, I had enough athleticism to kind of, I, I guess, hold my own. <laughs> you know, anybody that had any sort of skill, um, yeah. you would probably take me, but if, you know, I had enough athleticism to kind of cool. fake it till you make it, yeah. I guess. Actually, I think I went, I think this is like recent, like when me and Taylor were recently dating, I went to a game and watched Coda play. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know who that you now. were. I didn't, I had, she had told me about you, of course, and Rashawn, and then I yeah. was sitting by you guys, and I was That's like. That's right. Dude, he, <laughs> I love my son to death, but man, that was a rough season <laughs> for him. <laughs> He was playing up and in a competitive league, and so oh yeah, I just had him bite off more than he could chew. That's but. cool though. That's that's how they learn and get you know, he'll it'll grow from that definitely. So that's cool. Yeah, that was good, man. Yeah. Uh, so what ended up happening after you you go out there? You don't end up making it, you know. Well, well, they offered me a small scholarship, like mm. you know, not even enough for like room and board. I'm sure, but yeah, uh, to play on their JV team. And mm. so I was like, my pride, I was like, man, I don't want to play on JV. Yeah. If I don't want to pay to play on the JV, if I, if it was like a full ride to play on the JV, I probably would have done it. But if it was like, hey, you still got to pay all your tuition yeah. minus 2K and then play JV, maybe if you can make it, you know? So I was like, ah, no, nah, I'll just, I'll just hold back. But yeah. uh, that was my, that was right out of, right out of high school. And so my first year of college, I didn't even go anywhere. I just stayed home and went to uh, JUCO. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. There's like a campus, like, so I lived in Granbury in like 30, 35 minutes, um, probably, I don't even know which direction. Weatherford was the next town that had a college, and they had a junior college there, and it was a full campus, full facility, and they had a, a campus location in our town. So I just drove like four minutes down the road to get to to college classes and back. Nice. Yeah, that was a crazy time. Saving some cash. Saving a lot of cash, but I was super <laughs> bored and had no friends. and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was good for me though. It, like, made me pushed me to get out and go to college. Yeah. So, did you? Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Missouri State. Okay. Yeah, it was in um, in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, I went to uh, Nixa High School, which is kind of like a suburb of Springfield. Um, and then I went there on like a four year old full ride um, scholarship for the ROTC, and then had an academic scholarship. Oh. Um, and I was I was a decent baseball player, kind of like all conference okay. um, player, but 
definitely not good enough to play. Missouri State was coming off of um, – it was the College World Series. And I, wow. I want to say – I think they got swept in the College World Series. But next-level talent, like guys getting drafted. Wow. Um, that type of talent. And so – um, I, I doubt I could have even walked on the team. Like they were, they were really, really good at that point in time. Yeah. But yeah. So went to Missouri state, but it was a great school, man. I loved it. It was nice being fairly close to home, especially during that time. Cause my dad was deployed and that was right around oh, right okay. after nine 11. Oh, wow. So I was the oldest and just felt like, Hey, I want to be close to home. Just um, case, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, Missouri state was just a great option, mm. you know, for me. So I ended up getting like a house with a bunch of buddies oh, that's right cool. off of campus. That's we call it the, uh, the cherry street manor. Shout out <laughs> cherry street manor. <laughs> that's funny, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so you, you were born and raised in Missouri, I'm assuming. No, no. I, I, um, so my dad was career military. Okay. And so I've actually moved, we moved 13 times until I hit high school. Wow. Yeah. So we were all on the East Coast in the Midwest. And then um, in 2000, we moved to the small town in Nixon, Missouri, which if you've ever watched The Bourne Identity. Um, I think I have, but it's been a while. If you ever watched The Bourne Identity, there's a scene where I think it's the second one in the series where they they tell uh, Jason Bourne's identity and where he's from. Mm-hmm. And they give like his, his real name. And the town where he's from is Nixa, Missouri. Are you Jason Bourne? Dude. <laughs> that was that was the joke, man, back in oh, the day. <laughs> I ruined it. My bad. But it was it was hilarious. Like um, that's our claim to fame. <laughs> Nixa, Missouri. Jason Bourne. That's but, hilarious. Um, yeah, man. No, it was it was interesting. We moved a ton up into that point. And then it was great because we've, in 2000, it was the very first time that we actually got to like kind of lay down roots because we'd yeah. only been in one spot for probably more than like two years. Wow. And that town, I spent eight years of my life there. And so um, even now being here, you know, in the burbs of Austin, um, we've been here for four and a half years, but that's still the longest I've ever been in one place wow. is uh, Springfield, Missouri. So I definitely claim it as home. Uh, yeah. Went to high school there, went to college there. That's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, man. So you made like most of your friends there, I'm assuming, and yeah, most of your connections, like a lot of connections. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Where all did you move? Like prior to that, like yeah, my dad. So my dad was a field artillery officer, um, and so he did his training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, which um, if you know Lawton, it's it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Um, but that was where he did a lot of his training. And then we moved. I was born outside of D.C. Mm. Um, we're in Lawton. We were up in upstate New York. Oh, that's cool. Um, down in Florida at Central Command in like Tampa Bay. Dang. Um, it, we moved around a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot. But uh, I really like Missouri. Most people probably can't even point it out on a map. But yeah. Missouri is great because, um, one, the town of Springfield, it feels a lot like Portland. Um, which a lot of people don't know. It's kind of like the Portland of the Midwest. Oh. It's got a real eclectic vibe. Uh, one of the reasons me and uh, my wife moved out here to Austin was because we it had that same type of feel. And oh. It felt uh, a lot like where we were from. Mm-hmm. And so um, we really like that with the feel of the small, like a smaller city. But there's also a ton to do outdoors. And that's the other thing what we liked about Austin was you, you can do all sorts of stuff outdoors. You can go on hiking you can go on bike rides and springfield was kind of that same way like there's a lot of like endurance athletes mm-hmm. 
um, that live in that that little city, and they've got their own like little training group and stuff. And so that's cool. It was really really cool to uh, to grow up there and uh, kind of kick off your career. Yeah, you know, from Dang. from that spot. That's crazy. I did not. So I didn't. I guess makes sense. I don't know much about your past, like your childhood or how you grew up. Or I had no idea your dad was lifetime military yeah and so that makes a lot of sense on why you chose that were you like were you in rotc in high school junior rotc junior, yeah man i was yeah. one of those kids wearing the uh the corny green uniform around you know once a week yeah and so yeah they i think they called us the uh the pickles whenever we'd walk around <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> dang yeah that's but, crazy yeah growing up it was like that's all that i wanted to do mm-hmm. um even from the time when i was like a little kid i remember um my parents brought us to like this vacation Bible school. And, um, and so they, they drop us off there. And so me and my sister are about a year and a half apart. And we were talking with these kids and I was probably kindergarten or first grade. And I remember getting in a fight with this kid at vacation Bible school because um, he wanted to be a chef and I wanted to be in the army. And I thought it was uh, weird that somebody wanted to be a chef. And so he said that what I did, what I wanted to do was weird. And so we ended up getting in a fight and I got kicked <laughs> out of vacation Bible school. <laughs> That's crazy. Do you, did you remember that? Like, do you clearly remember that or were you told that? No, I, I clearly remember that. That's crazy. Like, yeah. I, man, that's a good memory. I cannot remember that far back. Yeah, we, we had some, me and my sister got into all sorts of trouble. And so some of those, <laughs> some of those moments are a little bit easier to pick yeah. out than the day to day. That's funny. So ROTC in high school, that's crazy. So I remember like the high school kids where I went, they were, I don't know why, but they're just like made fun of. Were you like, you like kind of messed with for that? It, the, in high school, you know, junior ROTC, it's, it's a, it's really an interesting group. Yeah. Um, you know, I was an athlete. Uh, and so I had that group of friends uh, from baseball and football. And then academics, you know, um, is pretty pretty decent student. Definitely not like valedictorian or anything, yeah. but like National Honor Society, that sort of thing. So I had that kind of group of friends. And then the other group of friends that I had were the junior ROTC students. And it was a lot of kids. Uh, this is the way it was, at least in our school. But a lot of kids who um, had some rough background yeah. um, and were just looking for a group of people, you know, to connect with. Right. And um, one of the misconceptions is that like junior ROTC, like, preps you for the military. It's mm-hmm. actually not. It the junior ROTC in high school actually helps you become a better citizen. Oh, and cool. what they do is um, they usually have um, uh, a retired officer and a retired non-commissioned officer who run the program. And honestly, they do a great job at really providing um, some structure, uh, yeah. some community, um, and really giving a lot of kids vision and purpose. Um, where in their home life, they may not have it. And so looking back now, like I see just a huge benefit from that time um, there in junior ROTC. And while I had a lot of other friends and a lot of other community, a lot of those kids, that was really a saving grace for them just to graduate high school. That was a big deal for them and their family. And so there was a lot of benefit um, looking back now at at that program. And I I can still remember um, the uh, Lieutenant Colonel Anton incredible dude every single day he would show up and he would have the joke of the day and so he would he, his thing was he was always sharing these jokes with these students and so everybody remembered colonel anton um That's not cool. necessarily 
by any of the things that he taught, but just by who he was. You yeah. Know, he was somebody that cared for them and loved them and uh, was fun to be around. Yeah. And so, yeah, junior ROTC was, um, yeah, it, it was an interesting spot to be in. But, um, man, I know it paid a lot of dividends for That's, a lot of kids in there. That is so cool. That's something, yeah, that, I never knew that. Like, I mean, of course, I never made fun of them. I don't think. I don't have a good memory. Uh, um, you could have made fun of me, man. I had I had a bad uniform. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Well, I mean, I just, you know, you you do see them as the weird kind of kids, the mm-hmm. outcast kind of kids. Uh, but that makes a lot of sense. That it's like they need that, you know, that's the structure that they need. That's cool. That's yeah. a good perspective. I've never never thought of it like that. Yeah, and their whole mission is to build build good citizens. Yeah. And so I remember that class, like we took, I took it for all four years. Um, and we did some a lot of fun things. Like they take you out on like field trips. You get to go, uh, they call it like land navigation. Yeah. And so you get like a compass and a map and, and a protractor and a pencil. And essentially they throw you out into the woods and you go with these little like teams and you go find points in the middle of the woods. Oh, that's cool. And I just remember as a kid, you know, especially like, you know, being in, in Springfield, you know, we didn't, we didn't live on any land or anything. Yeah. And so for me, it was like the greatest thing ever. Like all of a sudden I get this freedom. I'm a freshman in high school. They, they kind of take me out and they're like, okay, go find these points. And there's no like GPS. There's no Google maps. It's literally just a map and a compass and and your pace count. And you go out there and find these points. And, uh, it really was, it really was cool. Like looking back at it, like it really built your confidence. Like, wow, Mm. I can, I can do this. Or like they take you up and you go on, uh, like a ropes course or go rappelling. Yeah. And you could just feel like, especially at that time, you know, where you're coming out of junior high where you're just trying to figure out, I just need a spot to fit in, man. Yeah. And it really built your confidence wow. in a way that uh, uh, I think a lot of other sports or even academics, when you do well, it builds your confidence. And this was something for a lot way. of those kids that that's, really that's built so them cool. up. Yeah, I had no idea. That's cool. I know the kids at my school, they would go, they would call it Harlingen. Uh, cause that's a, that's a, I guess a city in Texas. Hmm. So they would make a trip from Grammarie to Harlingen, Texas, which is kind of by the coast. It's like close to Corpus Christi. So it's like a, from Grammarie, that has to be at least a six or seven hour drive. That's a far drive. On a bus, on a yellow dog. <laughs> and so they would go down there on the yellow dog and they would have a blast because they they would all talk about it in the class. Everybody would be hyped. Like they would all be like, dude, Harlingen is like a week, you know, like you'd all hear it. And like, even if you weren't in ROTC or JRRTC, mm-hmm. uh, you'd hear about that place. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's something I didn't know. Were you, so you didn't do track in high school? No, I didn't. I did. Um, I was, I always found myself like being decent at like the endurance stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we would do, I'm sure you remember this, you know, suicides or yeah. beep drill and stuff like that. We would always do stuff like that. And I always found myself being pretty decent at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely not a sprinter, Yeah, but um yeah, track was never my never my jam. Like I had I had a bad experience in junior high and just like I just got beat up like all the time. I go out there and I would lose. I'm hyper competitive. Oh yeah. So I would lose every single race. And I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. And uh as I got a little bit taller and kind of thinned out a little bit more, I found like, oh actually you, you might be pretty Maybe decent at it, yeah, but yeah, I never yeah. went back to track. Man, that's crazy. So when did you start your endurance athlete, uh your endurance sports? Yeah, the the military. When yeah. I when I went to college, I joined. Um, they had a, a program called the Ranger Challenge, and um, it was a, essentially an intercollegiate competition between a lot of the universities. 
Um, and so us being from Missouri State, we would compete against essentially like the Missouri Valley. I don't know if you know, like the Missouri Valley Conference in basketball. Yeah. Um, you got like Creighton and Southern Illinois and all these different universities. And so essentially um, there'd be a competition and you would compete against everybody um, in uh, – in the Missouri Valley, yeah, in their ROTC programs, and they call them like Ranger Challenge. Is this like as a team or individual? Yeah, this is as a team. Okay, and so you get. Um, I want to say it was like I think it was like six or eight man teams. I can't remember now, but you would do things like one rope bridge, and you'd build like a bridge out of rope. You'd cross a stream with your your team. So you'd you'd build something. You'd have somebody run out to the other side, wrap it around, you'd tighten it up, and then you'd be timed on how quickly you could get all your men, weapon, and equipment across. Yeah. And then they'd stop the time. And so that would be an event. You'd do land navigation as an event. You'd do rifle marksmanship. Um, but the big event uh, was this 10K uh, ruck march. And Ooh. so you would, you'd have all your equipment on. You'd have, uh, they call them like a rubber duck or mm-hmm. basically like a, a rifle that was um, made out of rubber. And then um, a 35-pound rucksack. And you as a team, you'd have to be together and you would all uh, go uh, in, and basically compete in a 10K road march. Wow. And for whatever reason, uh, I-, I loved it. Like we went out there and we did fairly well on the first one. And I just got addicted to this endurance Side, I'd never run a race before. I'd never done like a 5K. Yeah. Never done a marathon. And we went out and did it. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Like, I really, really like this. And so um, I just started looking into how can I do, how can I do more of this? Right. And, um, and so there was a guy there in the graduate program who was also in the ROTC program with us. He had run at uh, the University of South Carolina, uh, the Gamecocks, yeah. and he was on their cross-country team. So the dude was blazing fast. I mean, like, I, you know, I, I probably could barely run for my high school team, and this guy had just got off his collegiate career. Wow. And he was, he was phenomenal because he just gave so much insight and information, and he just took me under his wing and was like, hey, bro, like, if you want to get better, you know, at this endurance stuff, at this running thing, like, Come meet, come meet me at 5 a.m. You know, this is a college student now. Yeah. Come meet me at 5 a.m. Uh, out at the track um, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we'll get you better. Yeah. And that's how it started for me, man. Wow. I just went out there and just suffered with this dude, just trying to, you know, trying to stay anywhere near where this guy was at. And he was just so gracious. He gave his insight and, and helped me really get an understanding of endurance sports and, um, now, long story short, just kind of took off from there and really got into triathlon, got into marathon running. That's crazy. Um, yeah, and really just loved it. Got bitten by the bug. Yeah, man. I remember you you told Daniel and, and me that story while we were on that run about you and your, your buddy who did that. You said that was your first triathlon ever? My first triathlon ever was actually the Ironman triathlon. Oh, my gosh, dude. Yeah. And so you swim. How many, how many miles do you swim? Two or two? Yeah, two point yeah, two point four miles, and then you do one hundred and twelve on the yeah. bike, and then you do your marathon. Dang, twenty six point two. Yeah, well, it was it was funny because the whole point of that, um, this was my thing is, it was going into my junior year, yeah. so the summer of my sophomore junior year of college. Um, my buddy and I, we we were just looking up what's the hardest endurance thing that we could do. Yeah, online. And so it was all just crazy expenses of like climb Mount Everest or do the eco <laughs> challenge. Yeah. We're like poor college kids living off a of ramen, you know? Yeah. 
But as we looked on that like top 10 list, one of the things that we saw was Ironman triathlon. And I had never ridden, um, I obviously had ridden like a BMX bike, but I never ridden like a road bike. Yeah. Um, and I'd never, I didn't know how to freestyle swim. I knew how to kind of, you know, survive in the pool essentially, but didn't, I'd never done any swimming. And so we saw the event and we're like, bro, how hard could this be? You know, like let's, let's just sign up and do it. Yeah. And so we signed up for this thing and I want to say it was like maybe a month and a half out. Yeah. So we sign wow. up and I ended up buying a bike and he ended up uh, like borrowing a bike, <laughs> which the bike didn't even fit they, him. Were they road bikes or? They were road bikes. Okay. So they were the right kind of bikes, but just. They were the right kind. But it, it was so funny. Like if you look at some of his photos, even now, like he's on a bike that was made for somebody at least six to eight inches taller than him. Oh like my the, gosh. <laughs> the dynamics. Wow. Were so far off. And uh, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, the the race was ridiculous, man. Like we went out there and just suffered all day long. But at the end of the day, it was all about one: you, you can't quit. You got to finish the yeah, race. Yeah. And then two, it was all about who could beat the other person. And yeah. so it ended up coming down to a sprint finish with the last mile. And I hadn't seen this dude for hours during the day, and he caught me. Um, and uh, yeah, we sprinted out at the very end, man. That's crazy, man. That's a cool story, man. You used to talk to that guy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I talked with him probably about four months ago. Okay. Yeah, that's we, awesome. We've actually got a, a phone uh, phone call scheduled for. You know, you're getting old when you got to schedule your phone calls. Yeah. So you're busy, but yeah, we've got a <laughs> we got a call scheduled for next month. That's awesome, man. You're super busy though, man. I saw you doing your little calendar in the room. So all your calendars, I should yeah. say. <laughs> Did you really plan out your year on that day? Yeah, you know, so me and my wife, what we like to do is we try and we try and plan out our goals. So not necessarily like okay, what meetings coming up or I got you, anything I got like that, but um, we actually use um, a program that Rick Warren did. Uh, he called like it's called the Transformed Life. Okay, and he breaks down holistically your life into seven key categories. And so what we like to do is take those seven areas and then put goals to each of those areas. So things like obviously physical health, um, but it goes into things like financial health, uh, vocational health, relational, emotional, spiritual. Um, I'm missing one, but it, holistically, it just breaks down your whole life. And then what me and my wife do is we'll put down usually one to two goals within each one of those and um, uh, say, hey, what do we want to do this year? And we'll take time. We'll do, we'll do prayer and fasting. Mm-hmm. And then we'll come back, revisit those goals and say, okay, if this is what we're going to do, what are some changes? What are some disciplines that we need to put into place to, uh, to achieve those? And then um, what we do is we look at them each week just to see, you know, where are we at, yeah. you know, on track to, to do that. That's awesome. And you do it usually at the when, 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 that was at the beginning. So you do that at the beginning of the year each year? Yeah, January 1, uh, my wife and I will sit down and we'll put that list together. Then we'll take some time to pray and fast over that list, edit anything that we need to, and then we'll come back at the end of this month and be like, okay, this is these are the goals that we're going for. Yeah. And then, yeah, we hold each other accountable to to each one of those. That's so awesome. like, she has goals for herself um, on like the emotional side, and I've got goals for myself on the emotional side. And so when we sit down and we talk, we're like, hey, you know, how are you doing with processing past hurt here? Or, hey, how are you doing oh. with uh, a coworker that, you know, is uh, extra grace required, you know? On, and so we just help each other yeah. process through some That's things awesome. like that. And so it's been, it's been pivotal for us in, in our marriage, but just in our own personal growth. 
Um, yeah, that's so cool. That's awesome. Accountability and in like the most deep and intimate way with your partner, you know, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, Taylor and I actually just had our one year anniversary. So did you guys? Yeah, isn't that crazy, dude? That's amazing. It's, yeah, it came by quick, man. It was it was crazy. Which your guys' story is so cool. I mean, just the fact that like, okay, here you are, like the best friend of her brother, yeah, and like. Mm-hmm. Finding like that friendship going into a romantic relationship. Yeah. Like, dude, tell me a little bit about that. Cause like, I don't think I've heard the full story from you guys and like yeah. what that, what that looked like. Um, honestly, man, there's like, there's, there is a story. Of course, there's always a story. I'll, I'll just start from the beginning. Okay. So of course, Daniel and I met in high school, uh, sophomore year, I think. And I don't know what Taylor was doing then. I didn't know her. And like, I think occasionally I would go hang out with him, maybe like, you know, every, every so often I would go to his house. So I probably saw her like that. I remember throughout my high school career, probably like four or five times. And then once I hit college, excuse me, I didn't talk to her. Like I, we we really weren't friends at all. And then I think my junior year of college, Daniel and I were like, dude, let's plan a trip to California. We'll go, we'll stay with his brother lives up there and he's got cousins up there. So we took a trip and it was me, Daniel, Taylor and uh, Jada. And so we would, we went up there, we had a great time and like still nothing was like, nothing came about it. But then like, you know, over the years, the, like the fan, like me going over to their house and then she would be over more, um, cause she went to school and then, and then she was around the house more. And so we were able to just interact more. And so naturally I'm like a, like a nice guy. I would maybe flirty. I don't know. Maybe, (laughs) um, So I would just be myself around her and then like over the years that just accumulated and then accumulated and then we were around each other way more. Um, I guess the before we started dating, we were around each other way more. And then I guess after I graduated uh, college or my senior year of college, we started to text more and talk more. Um, but nothing was, it was just as friends, you know, and like yeah. in my mind, I was always like, okay. I know there's codes. I know there's rules. All right. This is Daniel's sister. That's my best friend. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to stay away. Like I, I did everything in my power to stay away. And then once we started to text more and talk more, she, her, they went on a cruise, uh, senior year of college and they came back. They drove like six hours to come to Lubbock and they didn't actually make my graduation, but they were there to just celebrate with us. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And so they took the time out of their, you know, six hours out of their day and then they chilled with us. And so that, that left it a little bit of an impression on me. And then yeah. we remained in contact. And then, of course, me and Daniel moved to Marble Falls. And we would make trips up here to Georgetown, go to church. And and then we would just be around her way more. And so once that started happening, I was able to be around her, uh, not with like a family setting, uh, with Daniel around sometimes, but more of just slowly one-on-one, mm-hmm. you know? And then I got to know her. Um, other than like stories, like, you know, your brother tells about a sister, which, you know, might aren't always the most attractive things <laughs> or like the most, uh, like the sweetest stories, but yeah. so hey, I got hey, those brother sister stories <laughs> tend to bring out the worst in the other person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I got to know her like on a one-on-one basis. And then we got to the point where we were like, okay, maybe there's something here. So let's try to, let's try to like attack these one-on-ones. Let's try to move head on and actually intentionally say, okay, let's go on a date. Let's, let's hang out without Daniel. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we started to do that and I was still fighting it, man. I was, I still didn't want it to happen. 
Yeah. I was like, I can't hang out. You know, I'm I'm busy. <laughs> but I didn't do anything. You know, Marble Falls, there's nothing to do. And then once we started to hang out, it kind of just, my heart changed. She, she brought me to church with you guys. Yeah. Uh, and her heart changed. That's the biggest thing. That was like, she was a different person from when I first met her to when we started dating and stuff. She was a totally different person. Hmm. Uh, really involved with Awaken. She was going to all the, like the women's groups and the small groups. And what was it that attracted to you know was so attractive to you? I guess from that initial uh, those initial meetings to like at that point because you said like man she she really changed. Like what was it? Um, I I so my like so throughout my college career I would go to church, uh, but it was never consistent, as consistent as it was and as, as consistent as I wanted it to be. Because the church I went to in Lubbock didn't really feel like a home church. Because hmm. I would always go to the early services and the college service was later. Because that felt more like home to me earlier. Mm-hmm. And then I also didn't want to be surrounded by a bunch of people uh, who potentially could be distractions. And so yeah. I went earlier and then, like, of course, that wasn't as consistent. But then once we started to hang out, she would bring me to church. Like I would come up on a Sunday morning and she would bring me to church. And her longing for that that community and i guess for the lord i mean that's really what drew my initial attraction to her yeah and it's like like that almost sounds a little cheesy but it's like the honest truth like i totally get that man yeah like i totally get that like with with vanna and i like i wasn't even saved when hmm. we when we got um together and you know i was saying all the right things right but like i knew like i wasn't not that I could, I really could care less about like following the Lord. Yeah. But the thing that attracted me to Savannah was her love for the Lord. Yeah. Which was so weird for somebody who Dude. really could care less. Yeah. That was the thing that really attracted me to her. And it's kind of hard to say. Like there was, there's really, there's, I think there was really like a sweetness that was there that I you just, I couldn't put my, my finger on. I, I didn't know quite what it was, but there was a sweetness there that, I was really attracted to right, um, even without, uh, even without knowing God, you know. Yeah, like, and I don't know what that is, but I, I really love that in her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what happened to me, man, because I knew her before, and I was like, I don't, you know. That's not that's not the girl that I had envisioned in my head for myself, hmm. but the Lord had other plans, and I mean, it was cool. I, I really, I really do think that's what what it was, because that's the only thing. That was different from the past to the present to that time we started to meet up. Yeah. And even at that point, I was like, man, I really like this girl, but I was still fighting pretty hard. Yeah. And then I just, you know, one day I was just like, okay, I'll just lean into this. Yeah. Lean into whatever this is. And it worked. Yeah. It worked. So what was, so what was that conversation like then with Danny when you're like, okay, man, like, Hey, I'm going to, oh, so, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking a step here in this relationship. <laughs> yeah. So he, he kind of knew, he kind of knew he's, he's not a dumb guy. He had a, like a, he had a feeling that something was up, you know? And, yeah. um, apparently everybody did besides me and Taylor. Cause her mom was <laughs> so like, everybody else saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Her mom was like, uh, what's going on between you guys? Like way before this. And like, I was like, that's weird. Whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, he, he kind of had a feeling. And so I, one day I approached him and I, I was like, I texted him because I was a little nervous and I was like, dude, I think I like your sister, man. I like, what are your thoughts? Like, if you don't want me to, I won't, if you don't want me to, I won't, but like, can I like take on a date or like, can I, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings, bro? I don't want to interrupt our friendship. 
because we were friends first, you know, like, I, yeah. you know, and so he was like, dude, I don't care. Like if anybody in this world was to date my sister, I know you well enough and I, I'm, I would love it to be you. Yeah. And so, uh, he's really been gracious about the whole thing. Like it's, it's cool. That's awesome. Man. Yeah, it was, it's cool. He's, I can't believe that. Cause I don't know if I would have been the same way, you know, dude, my brother-in-law, I actually knew him before mm-hmm. he dated my sister. Oh, that's cool. And so it, all of us were in the military and I remember coming oh. back from uh, my deployment in Afghanistan and got an email from him who he was heading into country and my sister was in country as well. All of us there. And um, I remember reading the email and essentially what he said was, Hey man, uh, I'm not asking for permission. I'm just letting you know uh, I'm going on a date with your sister. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. Man. So, romance started there in Afghanistan. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah, I would have done that, but uh, he, I lived with him, so <laughs> he, my, he would have figured it out. And my doors, my door didn't lock at the place, so he could have <laughs> could have messed with me when I was sleeping. Well, yeah, vulnerable. Uh, dude, I wanted to ask you about your training, your current training. What's, yeah, what is your current training like? Because it's not a secret anymore that you are going to be in the National Guard. You're, yeah. you're in. Uh, when does your boot camp start? Uh, well, we're still trying to work through that right now, trying okay. to get a date. But um, yeah, I'm training in earnest right now getting back into the military um but yeah basically i'm doing two a days so uh i'm trying to do some sort of strength or crossfit Uh um in the afternoon and then i'm doing some sort of run training um in the mornings yeah and um based on my you know endurance background i got really into triathlon there for a while Mm -hmm. and got pretty competitive uh basically enough to pay for my hobby by winning you know winning some smaller races and stuff like that uh, we, we used to joke and be like, yeah, it, it pays for your addiction essentially yeah. is, uh, is wow. what we're doing. Uh, I'm nowhere near where that, where that level of fitness was, but, um, I actually have gotten back together with my old coach and Whoa. so she's training me up, um, for a lot of my endurance stuff. So this morning, for instance, I was out there, uh, I did, um, let's see, it was six, 1200 repeats. Um, and then what was it was 800 repeats. And so, uh, just brutal workouts, you know, like, yeah. um, that are, if, if you're not familiar with that, like essentially like 1200 is three laps of a track, 800, two laps of a track. Right. Um, and you're just putting down times where you're right on the red line every single time. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a good shock to the system trying to get my body back into shape for yeah. sure. So. You've been doing that for a couple of weeks now, right? Been doing that now for probably about three and a half, four months months okay. yeah yeah so getting back into it and then like tomorrow um i'll get out there with uh you know a big rucksack essentially a big backpack with a bunch of weight and um go out there do like a 12 mile ruck to come back pounds. throw on the running shoes and uh do a run and then that afternoon do a little strength session so that's crazy man yeah so this you know 35 year old man i'm getting getting beat up and broke down so trying to get my recovery on point man too. yeah that's good what are you doing for recovery so sleep, number yeah. one, uh, trying to get a much better like sleep hygiene, you know, just, you know, this, everybody knows this, but you know, just trying to put away the, um, the devices at least yeah. half an hour before bed, um, making sure I'm getting at least seven hours of sleep, mm-hmm. um, which for my schedule, I mean, is pretty difficult to try and get, Seems to get like seven, <laughs> um, but at least seven and then, um, working on like foam rollers, working on some stretching and I've been kind of playing around a little bit with, um, some like Pilates and yoga just mm. cause being my age, like you did, 
uh, I think you just get um, tight, you know, and like you just want your muscles to elongate. Yeah. And so I feel like my stride is a little bit shorter than what I remember. And so just trying to elongate some of those muscles, especially after intense training and yeah. get them so that they're uh, not just firing on all cylinders, but are actually able to get the maximum like uh, length. And so yeah. like, have you listened to any like Tom Brady, like TB12? Yes. He does those elongation uh, trying to do a lot of that sort of stuff. And so I'm kind of dabbling with that because I was, I never yeah. did that before, man. Right. Like, coach would be like, hey, I want you to go do, uh, you know, a cool down. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I, I got the workout in. Yeah. But man, I'm telling you, like, once you hit like 30 and where I'm at now, 35, it's like, that really does matter. Mm-hmm. Like getting in the, um, the accessory work, it really matters. And I can see it in my performance. Like when I skip it for a couple of days, it's like, yeah, yeah, I definitely I need, notice. I definitely need that. That's crazy. You're not a so TB12. That's a good person to look to for reference on, dude. If I if I could be anywhere near that sort of uh, <laughs> level in my mid 40s, dude, that'd be amazing. That's crazy, man. You're not you're not spending a million dollars like LeBron on recovery. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, man, that's crazy. If I had that in the bag, I don't know. If I'd be going back to the National <laughs> Guard. <laughs> that's man. So when does that start? You said May, right? That's when you're moving, and yeah, that's what we're looking at. Yeah, okay. so May is the hope uh, to be able to go and uh, kind of finish up um, uh, the initial like paperwork and then the training and um, get into it in earnest. But yeah, me and my wife, we it was kind of a, a weird deal. Like you know, being a lead pastor at the church, um, we had just been feeling like um, God was calling us in, in kind of a, a new season, a new direction. And um, we're like, man, what does this look like? Because we have a heart for this city, have a heart for Awaken, and we're like, um, just trying to figure that out. And it's it's so interesting too, like especially in in the faith journey where you feel like there's something there, mm-hmm. but you're not quite sure what what that looks like. Yeah. And I'm a Type A guy, so for me, it's just like, no, I'll, I'll plan it and move it forward. And you know, even if it doesn't fit, like we'll, we'll fit the square peg into the round hole, like right. with enough force. Yeah. Um. But, uh, you know, being a pastor, it's like, man, how does this look, you know, in my faith journey and feeling this call to go back into the military was pretty difficult. If I'm honest, like trying to figure out, is this God, is this a bad burrito? You know, did I have something last night and this is just bad indigestion, Ben? Like this is, this isn't really God. Um, but trying to process that and we just came to the spot where we felt like the Lord was leading us to a new assignment in, in a different way. Yeah where with the National Guard, we still have the opportunity to stay in the area after the training, still be able to minister in this area. That's great. And at the same time, be able to be in a new community, um, one, to be able to serve our country, but then also to be a light, you know, in in a pretty dark place. I mean, I've spent, you know, many years on active duty, and um, I love the military, love the guys there, but it, it's a dark place. It really is. And so um, for me, I just have a I have a heart to see people know God and um, not know religion. I think a lot of people have this misconception of, especially Christianity, of like that it's um, it's religion. And I've never seen it that way. I've always seen it as a relationship, and I think a lot of that has to do with you know me coming to faith later in life. Yeah. Um, actually, this year will be um, ten years now wow. of following the Lord. Yeah. But it was it was a catalytic moment for me realizing that it wasn't about what I do or don't do because that's what religion is essentially it's like do this don't do that um, and recognizing it was all about relationship with God and how do I know God and so we just felt called um, to go back into that community in that space 
and um, really excited about yeah. you know, the journey ahead. That's uh, that's unique, man. That's unique that you didn't have that prior. Like, I mean, honestly, who knows if it's a relationship or not? When you're when you're born and you start going to church immediately, it's really not a relationship. It's kind of like a hey, you're gonna go to church because that's what we we're supposed to do, yeah. right? And that starting ten years ago, it's like you're like okay, I'm an adult. I have a fully cognitive awareness of like what I want and then what's what it is that I want with the Lord if there is a Lord you know and you you go through all these things prior and then yeah, you is figure there, that like out. it's like you've got to have a baseline to start like is there one is there a God yeah you know and um for me I grew up I grew up in the church yeah. but it was I had a really really bad experience um I didn't have a great relationship uh with my dad and a lot of what I saw in the church um it was religion and um you know it's no secret like uh you know with with me and my dad like it's been it's been uh, a difficult time to to reconcile that relationship and uh as a kid you associate you know um especially religion with people that are closest to that right i think gandhi said it he says i love your christ but i don't love your christians yeah and that's the way I felt. You know, I felt that way. I felt like it was really hypocritical. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like if this is what Christianity is, I really don't want a whole lot to do with it. And so the right. first opportunity that I got, um, you know, I left. And um, and so it was out of the out of the church and, really, again, had no relationship with God, um, but was out of the church for well over a decade, um, all during my time in the military. And what, what changed for me um, was actually my wife. Like we were kind of talking about right. it earlier. Like right. there was something there I couldn't really put my finger on, um, but I was so attracted to. And that for me was this catalytic moment when I recognized that it, she wasn't doing this because she, she had to do this. You know, like you hear that from a lot of people. It's like, well, don't do this, don't do that. You know, like God is the cosmic killjoy. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I associated religion that's how i associated god was you know he's this cosmic killjoy in the sky and i like who cares what i do with my sexual life who cares what i do with you know <laughs> what i drink or don't drink mm-hmm. really who cares um and when i met my wife it, it wasn't about like doing these rules it was all about um she wanted to to please um a heavenly father like in a way that um that I had never really experienced before. And that really brought me on this journey, you know, from that point forward at 26 to say, okay, what does this look like? It's one, um, if I'm going to go to church, I need to know that this is real. So I went down this like academic study, bro, where I I was getting a ton of books and just seeing like, where did the Bible come from? Yeah. What is scripture? Who was the historical Jesus? From scratch. Yeah. I was looking at Buddhism and Islam and I really just, said, okay, if I'm going to start somewhere, let, let's just start here and see, one, is there a God? And then two, when it comes to these religions, like, what is truth? Right. You know, like Pontius Pilate says it to to Jesus there on trial. He says, what what is truth? And I think that was the question I was asking myself, you know, during that point in time in my life was like, what what is truth? What yeah. does that look like? And so whether that was within a religion, whether that was in a relationship, whether whatever that was, I was just looking for truth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was honestly, I, I was open to anything at that point, like whatever, whatever I could look at the world and see this makes sense that in, in, in my, my 26 years of age, that, that lens in which I looked at the world, 
um, I was looking for truth. And um, that journey led me surprisingly back to Christianity and and back to Jesus himself yeah. personally. Wow. Um, That's crazy. So how long ago did you start Awaken? Yeah, so we launched we launched Awaken in 2018. Okay. Um, and we moved out here to Austin um, in the fall of 2016 uh, to do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of planning prior to and yeah, yeah. That's crazy, man. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you is like, so you're the lead pastor. You you essentially start this church, right? Not you solely, but you. You're the face of the church, essentially, right? Besides Jesus and the Lord, right? Yeah. You're the face of Awaken. Um, when people go to Awaken, they they love it because of the people, you know. But I, I wanted to know, like, how is it on your day to day life being a pastor? Like, how does that affect your day to day life before, like, before yeah. 2018 when you launched? Like, what was your day to day life, and how was it different from now? Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. So prior to launching the church. Um, when we moved out here, you know, it's just this dream. You know, we, my wife and I, we, we came to the conclusion that we felt like God was calling us to start a move of God and a community of God in a city that was highly influential as well as um, spiritually unreached. Essentially for people like me, honestly, it was mm-hmm. who I was. I, I felt called to go and um, find them. Yeah, to to help them. Like I was, my life was changed for the better in so many ways. And it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to push anything. It was, it's kind of like a person who sees a great movie and they can't help but want to share that movie with other people. Like, bro, you got to check this out. That was really the heart behind it. Um, There was no like financial plan, like, uh, or anything like that. It was really just like, we found so much joy um, in our relationship with the Lord and wanted to share that with other people. And so we felt... Uh, like God was calling us to go take that step. Long, long story short, we landed on Austin, Texas. Yeah. Um, and so we moved out here and I had no plan, man. Mm-hmm. I had no plan. All I knew is there are people in my neighborhood. Let's start with being a good neighbor. And so I was that guy, like we moved in and the very next week we baked a bunch of cookies and knocked on everybody's door and oh, handed them cool. cookies, <laughs> which I didn't realize was kind of a backfire because they're like, Oh, we should be doing this for you. But I was like, no, like I'm new to the neighborhood. Like I just wanted to meet some people. That's cool. So we knocked on everybody's door, handed cookies out and then said, Hey, we're hosting a barbecue next month. We'd love to invite you to it. Cause we want to know our neighbors. Right. And, um, I had no idea who was going to show up. And so we decided to do the barbecue in the driveway, in the front, because that's, you know, you can kind of see, know, kind yeah. of peek out your, peek out your window and be like, do I want to go over there? Do I not want to go over there? Um, so we hosted it and it was funny, man. Like I'm out there in the front, I'm, I'm cooking the burgers and dogs. We've got like a couple tables lined up, like, Hey, just bring whatever, whatever dish you want. And, um, and you know how it is. Like if you ever host an event, like you do all this planning and prep work for it. And then like 10 minutes before you're there and you're like, nobody's showing up to this. Right. Why is anybody going to show up? (laughs) It is the same way. Like the, the time comes and there's nobody there. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, like we move my, I move my family, you know, halfway across the country. Start questioning everything. Yeah, I question everything. And I'm like, what am I doing? And so I'm kind of flipping some burgers and dogs. And finally one person shows up. It's probably like five minutes after, you know, we said it was going to start. And in, we just start to talk. And a little, little bit after that, a few more minutes go by and, you know, family comes over. 
one or two more people. And probably within half an hour, we're sitting there and we have um, almost the entire neighborhood, like the entire Whoa. block is there. We had probably 60 adults and another 20 kids running around the street. It looked like a block party. Right over here? No, man. It was another neighborhood okay. in, in Sonoma. Um, and so that was how we we started. I just got to know people and got numbers. And then after that, would call them up and be like, hey, you want to go grab some coffee? I'd love to hear your story. And basically what I wanted to do was how can I I've asked this question every day when I wake up as a pastor, like how can I add value to people's life? Um, especially in the American church, like we look, you look at the TV and you see these televangelists like asking for people's money. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think about like these little widows, you know, who are there on, you know, a fixed income and these guys are like taking their money and everybody sees right through it. Right. It's like, Oh, there'll be a blessing for you. And it's like, right, wrong, or indifferent, like as a pastor, like you're always fighting that uphill battle. And like what I wanted to do is just let them know, like I wanted to add value to their life. And so nobody even knew that I was a pastor. Um, and unless you asked me directly, like nobody really knew that I was a Christian at that point. Right. I just wanted to add value. Mm-hmm. And so I just looked for ways to help out. So I was helping people move. I was helping people wow. set up fences. Um, and we just tried to be involved in the community as much as possible. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was we ended up starting um, what we called like a discovery Bible study. And in fact, I still have them going on today. Um, every Thursday morning at 7 a.m., I've got a discovery Bible study that, that meets at a coffee shop. And it's atheists and agnostics and new Christians that are just interested to discover who Jesus is. Yeah. And we just started there and it just wow. began to grow. And um, we started a, a Bible study in our living room had uh like four people show up on that first day yeah kind of looking around like okay this is a start like it's not just me and my wife anymore there's actually somebody that's that showed up here and um over the next probably year year and a half we just begin to build a team and try to add value to people's lives um help them know who god was and um uh, basically end up launching the church in september of 2016 after doing um, you know, a bunch of leadership training and a marketing campaign and all that. Mm. And it was crazy, man. I mean, you show up there on that first day from a couple people in your living room to seeing, I think we had like 350 people on opening day Wow! there in the auditorium. I'm just look, looking out there like blown away at what God was doing. And and it, the cool part is this, it's, it's so different. I feel like than athletic adventure, you know, endeavors or academic endeavors where it's like you, you put a lot of pressure on yourself and you deliver. Yeah. Where as a pastor, I feel like I don't deliver anything. Like really I, I'm here to set the groundwork. And when I looked out there, honestly, on that first day, it it was so crazy because I just felt like I just got a front row seat to see God do something yeah. incredible. And it wasn't even that we had those those that amount of people show up. The first two weeks we saw twenty people give their life to God, like start a relationship with God in those first two weeks. And for me, that was, that was the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Like for me, like anytime somebody says, man, I want to, I want to truly follow Jesus. Um, I know what that meant for me. I know what it meant like for me to, to go from, um, anxiety ridden, uh, depressed, empty, 
to finally giving my life to the Lord and finding that fullness and wholeness. Yeah. And so when I see that, when people make that decision, I want to do that. It's not just a number to me. That is, that is somebody's soul. That's somebody uh, who's changing, not just their life, but a legacy, their family's life. Right. You know, if they're a mom or a dad, like now their kids get to see God in them. And so that for me, um, it was just incredible to see what God did. So I just felt like I got a front row seat to the whole thing. Yeah. And then just like that endurance, you got to kind of get like kind of hooked to it. Right. You like, you, you want to see more of it happen. And you do, man, like those, those moments are so special because I'll tell you this, my, my favorite moment Mm -hmm. had nothing to do with Sunday morning during that time. Actually, my favorite moment, um, was a guy and his family by the name of David Lynch. Uh, He was in my neighborhood and um, he was, I think he's probably more agnostic when we first met, but we actually met at our neighborhood park there in Sonoma. It's right behind uh, the Kalahari. Oh yeah. Um, probably like a mile as the bird flies. Real, real nice neighborhood, beautiful neighborhood. But um, I just been praying during that time. I was like, God, would you, would you use me to like meet somebody to help bring them to you? And, um, Remember me and my kids, we were out there at the park in the afternoon and um, there was a guy there with him and his daughter and they were playing at the park. And it was one of those where normally I'm the one engaging, you know, Mm -hmm. like, hey, how are you? But for whatever reason, I just sort of held back. um, And I want to say at the time, like I wasn't even really focused on like trying to go meet him. I had a bunch of other stuff that I was doing at the time. And he came up to me. He was like, hey, how are you? I'm David. You know, and our kids were playing together. And we end up connecting and um, we end up inviting them over. I think it was like the next week to, to have dinner. And so they came over and I didn't know this at the time, but his wife, um, Stephanie, I don't think she had, she was anxiety ridden. Like she, when she had her, her first kid, Claire, um, she was so anxiety ridden. I don't think that she had left the house for like eight or nine months. I mean, wow. dude, so much social anxiety. She had been a school teacher before that, but was Whoa. so riddled with this social anxiety that um, it really was debilitating for her. And so they they said, yeah, we'll, we'll come over for dinner because I'd met, uh, uh, Claire had met a friend essentially. And they're like, well, for our daughter, we'll, we'll take her over and right. you know, we'll, we'll have dinner. Mm-hmm. And so they come over and, you know, they bring some wine, bring some food, bring some cheese, you know, we have a great time. And uh, at this point in time, he doesn't know who I am from Adam. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember her asking, so, so what, you know, what do you do? Because I had asked them a bunch of questions, knew what they did for a living. And uh, she goes, so what, what do you do? And uh, Vanna, my wife, she goes, uh, well, Ben's a pastor. <laughs> and I remember, I remember the look on their face, just like they went white. They're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which immediately, it, it, this is so hilarious. Like, immediately she's like, did I offend you by bringing the wine? Like, I'm so sorry. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we're just like, no, n- not at all. Like, no, you didn't offend us. But they have they have this conversation, and, like, you could tell, like, just uneasy. like, And, and you could tell, like, he's ready to get out of the house. Yeah. And so he leaves the house, and I, I didn't learn this till later on, but he, as soon as they get in the van, as they're ready to head back to the house, he goes, we are never going back there again. Wow. He's like, not only did I not know he was uh, a Christian, he's a pastor. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> but, Man. But that relationship, we begin just to meet up. Yeah. And I begin to share my story with him and what God had done in my life. And over the next probably six months, David ended up giving his life to the Lord. 
And what ended up happening was he became such an impact for people in that neighborhood. Like he started his own group, his own Bible Whoa. study for his neighbors. He really became a, uh, a pastor yeah. to his neighborhood because we lived several blocks away. And what God began to do in his life, I mean, was nothing short of miraculous. Like Stephanie not only got over her anxiety, she became a leader um, within Claire's school and became a leader at the church. Wow. Uh, David the same way. And I mean, just from night to day, you could just see their life completely change, um, find purpose and meaning behind it. And so for me, like those numbers are awesome, but it's stories like that, that yeah. I think about during, during that, those early days of the church and think, man, it, it was so cool just to be able to be a part of that and to right. see what God did. So those, yeah. those are some that I just, I relish. Yeah. You know, I think about that's awesome, man. That's crazy. That is so crazy. Um, Man, I really wanted to touch on your experiences at Army Ranger, but it's it's a little past eleven. I don't know if you got to get out of here or not. But no, uh, I got a few more minutes. We can we can okay. hold on for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess it's a total of one eighty on subjects. But yeah. What? How? What? What? Want? What drove you to be an Army Ranger, man? Like I've that is so crazy because whenever I think of Army Ranger, I think of I think of Navy SEAL. I think of like like you know the toughest of the tough, the baddest of the bad, like the most. <laughs> And not like, not to say that you're I always, not, I always like, joke with people. I'm like, I was just too dumb to quit. Oh <laughs> yeah. No, I, um, yeah. When, when I went into the ROTC program, I knew that I wanted to, to lead soldiers. Um, and, uh, I just, I loved, I loved the old war movies, man. Like my dad was military. I love watching the old war movies. And so for me, I just love that idea of being able to, to lead soldiers, um, into combat to be able to protect our nation, um, to be able to protect essentially like the freedoms that we have here. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds super idealistic, but honestly, like at the time, um, that was my motivation. Like I just, I love that idea of being able to, to help protect, um, and be able to lead. Yeah. And, and so for me being a, an army officer was the, the next step. And that's where doing, doing the ROTC program, um, I ended up graduating from Missouri State and then going in as an infantry officer. Um, and as an infantry officer, you get the opportunity to go to to ranger school right afterward. And so um, for me, ranger school, it was, uh, it's just a school. And that's why I tell people, it's like, I'm not like some super ninja mm, yeah. uh, warrior guy. <laughs> like um, I wasn't a part of the, the special operations community. I was a ranger qualified infantry officer. Yeah. And with that, um, you get to go to this school called Ranger School, and it's um, it's essentially a leadership school in small unit tactics. And uh, what they do is they take you through three different phases. So you go through um, you've got your uh, Darby phase, which is your essentially your your crawl phase. Okay. You've got your mountain phase in Dahlonega, Georgia, which is like your walk phase, and then you've got your swamp phase. Um, out of Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, which is your run phase. And so each phase, they teach you about small unit tactics. Um, and basically, what you end up doing is you carry a heavy rucksack. Uh, you don't really sleep a lot. You get in the yeah. field, you, you maybe get an hour of sleep a night, and wow. you get uh, two MREs a day, um, which sounds like a decent amount, but you're burning so many calories because you're walking um, 
tons of miles every single day. So you're, you're at a caloric deficit every single day. So you're incredibly hungry, your body's wasting away, and you're not getting any sleep. And then you've got to lead um, your peers, which it's a, it's a, um, a leaderless environment in the sense that it's, it, everybody is the same rank, which is nothing. You're just ranger. Yeah. And so you've got to lead all these guys to accomplish a mission um, with a, a, a limited amount of time and a lot of stress. And so they put you in this environment. And it's essentially a pressure cooker to see at your worst, can you lead other people to accomplish it? a mission? Yeah. And that's essentially what Ranger School is. And so, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to, to go through the course and learned a lot about uh, small unit tactics, but learned a whole lot more about myself. Yeah. That's amazing. That's crazy, dude. Like, I can't even imagine. Whenever I'm at a caloric deficit, actually, I've never had a caloric deficit. So that's not even anything I ever have to worry about. That's yeah, crazy. You, you just you live off of being hangry the yeah. whole time. Maybe we need to send Taylor to that school, man. She gets <laughs> her hangriness is bad. Next level. She gets next level hangry, man. She would she would not make it in that school, but that's crazy, man. Yeah. So we basically we you get through the course and um at the end of the course you get uh you know you graduate as as a ranger, essentially mm-hmm. you're your ranger qualified. Um, and then at that point, um, you go back into your unit, um, and that's where um, any junior any junior leader that's in the military, um, I would recommend going to ranger school because you learn so much about yourself, and it just makes you the principles that you learn there help you in everyday life. Yeah. Um, like I don't know if you ever read Jocko Willink's book Extreme Ownership. Yeah, I, not all of it, but so many of those lessons, I mean, are what you learn in ranger school. And, oh, wow. and you learn it in essentially a trial by fire. Like it, it isn't just, it's hard to teach that sort of leadership. It's hard to teach people about yourself and that sort of, um, you can sit there and be like, you know, keep pushing forward. You can read that in a book. You can hear that in a podcast. But until you live that, until you experience it and walk through it, um, it's just head knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, we say a lot of times in the church, you know, you have to take it, you know, those 12 inches from head to heart. It's essentially taking that knowledge going from your head and saying, no, this is who you are. And it really creates in you this, this ability to know that in the worst possible situations, like um, you've got a lot more in the tank than you realize. There, there's a lot more in you um, than, than you really recognize. And, and, yeah. it, and it gives you the opportunity to, to put it to action you know, to put it to work. So it becomes this, you know, now it's like, there's this deep reservoir now where it's like, if I'm working late, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. Like I've lived off of, you know, no sleep for, okay. you know, multiple days on end. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm really hungry or, you know, that's okay. Or man, I've got a, I've got a difficult coworker. I know what that looks like. You know, I've, I've had really difficult coworkers, you right. know, and we've had to come together and, and I've had to cast a vision and, and lead in the worst of situations. So I know if I could do it there, I can do it in this situation. Yeah. So, and, and Ranger School is, it's just, um, it, it, it's 60 days of what most people learn in a lifetime, essentially. Right. And, and you take that and, and, you know, some guys take that and they're able to, to use it. And mm-hmm. other guys, that was just a, that was a moment in time. And I think it, the guys that really benefit from it are guys that are able to take it, contextualize it, and then use it in their life later on. And I think for anybody, you know, anytime you go through a difficult circumstance, 
anytime you go through, you know, pain um, and suffering of, of really any kind, you really have two choices. You can either sit there and it can just be a moment in time that you endured and you made made it through. And and for for I'm not trying to take away anything from any sort of circumstance with with that people go through, but that's one way to do it. Right. But if you can take it, you can harness it, and you can learn from it. The lessons that you end up learning from that end up becoming not just the things that can define you, but the things that can lead to purpose. You know, we have a saying at, at Awaken that I say a lot, like the pain of your past can really lead to a platform for your purpose hmm. if you let it, you know, and, and those, those painful moments in your past that you go through, if you can take those, harness them, learn from them, they'll really lead to the very thing that you were designed to do. And so I look at it now through, through the lens of um, God putting me in, in those situations you know, in difficult situations to learn from and say, okay, God, I don't want to just take 2020, for instance. I don't want to just suffer through 2020. Right. You know, we're, we're sitting here January, 2021. Yeah. I don't want to just be like, I never want to talk about that year. Mm. That's just a year that's in the past. Like I really want to look at it and say, okay, God, I definitely did not like that year. Mm-hmm. Right. Like everybody else. I don't think anybody liked 2020, but instead of just ignoring it and moving past, like, what can I take from this? Yeah. God, what are you trying to teach me through this? And if I'm open enough um, to evaluate myself, evaluate the circumstances that I was in, and then use that uh, to say, okay, this is the lesson. How do I move forward with it? It changes how you view everything in your life. It changes how you view pain. It changes how you deal with difficult circumstances um, because you know that there's purpose behind it. Like one of my favorite verses is the one where, um, where it says, uh, for those that are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. Right? So God um, works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If, I've, if I am called by God, if I'm a child of God, I, I know that there's going to be bad situations. Right. That verse doesn't say that there's not going to be bad situations. A lot of people go in and they think, oh, well, I'm a Christian now, so life's going to be easy. No, it's actually probably going to be harder. Right. But I can have confidence in the fact that any bad situation that comes up, God is God may not be causing it, but he's allowed it mm-hmm. and he will work it together for good. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's a death. I don't care if it's the loss of a job. God will use it for good if I keep pressing into him right. and say, God, I don't like it. I didn't want this, but would you use this? Um, there's a couple in our church who, um, incredible couple who lost their daughter. And that night, I remember them saying that they had, they had one of two choices. This, this is going to define them, they said, mm-hmm. no matter what. This is going to define them. But they had one of two choices. They could either let this build up bitterness or they could use this and say, God, this is not at all what we wanted, but would you use this for good? We don't know how it's going to be good. Right. But we know you do. And would you use this for good in some way? And to see what God has done in their life. They're an inspiration to me um, by the people that they've they've touched and, and even their daughter's legacy now. Uh, gosh, a year and a half, almost two years now. Wow. Uh, her legacy still lives on. And a lot of people have been changed because of it. And so I think you have, you really have two options. You have two choices in those sorts of situations. Right. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. That's cool. I love hearing people's perspectives and, and 
this is good insight because this is a lot of a lot of insight that I didn't know that it's wisdom, right? You have this wisdom and you're passing it on to me and to whoever else watches this. So that's awesome. Appreciate it, yeah. dude. Well, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, uh, man. By the way, this is called the AV Club. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I thought that was pretty funny. Pretty, I love pretty it. Pretty clever little name. Um, but thank you, Ben, for showing up today. Thank you for being here and taking your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, and if you really think about it, you, not you, but through the power of God, through you, um, you essentially connected me with, with Taylor, who hopefully I'll be with for a long, long time, a couple more years, many, many more years, maybe. Um, so I appreciate that. I'm thankful for that and thankful for our, our relationship and our friendship. So yeah, I really man. appreciate you coming on. Honored to be here, man. Thank you. Awesome. Yes, sir. We'll see you later.